Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And I greeted you again and again with Christ is Risen. And I do so, hopefully, with a certain joy in my voice. And I hope that you had that joy as well. I know there was a lot of reason to be anxious, to be maybe even depressed, maybe even despairing. I know that. I realize that. But here at Lie the East, we bring you the message and hopefully the reality of the one thing that is over and above even the greatest of despair, of sadness, sickness, even death, and that is the fact that Christ is risen. Notice I said is, not has, is risen. Jesus Christ is the first and last word on everything. God is, he always has been, even on the worst. That's what the mystery of the cross told us. That's what the mystery of the cross taught us and shows us and continues to show us that the worst is overcome and turned into something good and oftentimes even glorious by God. And that's why when we proclaim Christ arisen, we do so with a certain truth to it, a certain zeal. We must. You see, we're called to experience and to live the joy of the resurrection. Now, when I say joy, oftentimes that elicits in us, especially now during this whole pandemic and all of the many Many, many untold, unpredictable fallouts that could come from this that could be very difficult, that amidst that, we have to have this joy, the resurrection. And we might think to ourselves, what, that's like a superficial, silly, how can I possibly have joy? There's been death, maybe illness, maybe even my own family, maybe even yourself, maybe even others you know and love. We have all kinds of hardship. And yet, I'm supposed to be happy? No, I didn't say happy. Joy is not just a sentiment. It's not an emotion that we fake. It's really a choice. It's a choice of how to see something. It's a discipline of how to see something. It's an act of the will of moving beyond even our deepest emotions and choosing 
what is real, what is true, call it making our faith work for us, that if we really believe that Jesus Christ is risen, is, present tense, ongoing tense, not past, is risen, and we actually can see that in life, surely you have seen remarkable things, good things come from even this tragedy of the pandemic and all the other unfortunate things we might hear about it. Maybe it was engineered. Maybe it was done on purpose. Maybe there was negligence. All kinds of finger pointing, all kinds of negative stuff is probably going to unfold. And yet, despite that, surely you can see, or you must try to see, what is good and holy, what God has asked us to be, what he's asked us to ask ourselves, what he is saying through all this. See, that's the reality of the resurrection. Now, this particular Sunday, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we celebrate the theme of the myrrh-bearing women, also Joseph and Nicodemus. In other words, those people who were brave, even with a certain naivety and a certain courage kind of mixed together, they went seeking the body of Jesus. The myrrh-bearing women went just before the dawn to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, because you know that his body was hastily taken down because there was going to be a Passover, a Sabbath a solemn feast day, so they had to get the body down from the cross before too late. So it was very hastily buried, maybe with a little bit of ointment. The women wanted to come and give it proper burial, but they're on the way to the tomb, and I've always wondered about this detail. They knew that Christ, maybe they didn't know, but we assume they knew that Christ was buried in a tomb. They rolled a big rock across the tomb. They sealed it, as the gospels say. They sealed it. If they knew that, I always wondered, Why didn't they think of that when they're on the way to the tomb? In fact, in the scripture, it actually has them asking themselves, well, who will move the rock away for us? They didn't think about that before they came. So there was a certain naivety, but that naivety came from the fact that they were so full of love and zeal, so anxious to anoint the body, they didn't really think of any other details. And when they came to the tomb, of course, they found out that Christ had risen. In other words, they were the first to know that. Womanhood was the first to know of the resurrection of Christ. And Christ told them, the women, again, this is very, very commensurate, very consistent with the mystical nature of womanhood. Womanhood has the gift, as John Paul II said, the genius to receive. Just as Eve received a bad message from the serpent in the garden, now that gets undone. Again, by women again, women receive now a life-giving message only from an angel not a message of death from a serpent. So God undoes everything that was bad and wrong and evil. He undoes it through the same characters, women. He starts with the women. This time they receive this good message, but he tells them to take this message to the apostles. He didn't tell them to take it to the world right away. He told the women, take it to that which was most proximate. In other words, the home, the family, the boys, the guys. And when they came, of course, the guys, being skeptical, they didn't believe it. They had to see for themselves. But eventually, God would tell the men then to take the word of the resurrection, the word of God, to the entire world, to the external world. The women took it to the interior forum, the internal world, what was proximate and intimate, the relational world, so consistent with, as St. John Paul II points out in his mystical presentation of womanhood, as we see, especially in his Theology of the Body and his other document on the dignity of womanhood. 
in the liturgical text, as always, we have some very, very rich passages here. Here is one in particular that comes from the Matins, the morning prayer service for today. It says, The women prepared myrrh to anoint you, and secretly came to your tomb early in the morning. They feared the boldness of the Jews, and they expected the soldiers to be keeping guard. But their weakness triumphed over manly strength, for tenderness finds favor with God. And so they cry out, Arise, O Lord, protect us and save us for the love of your name. Interesting line there, but their weakness triumphed over manly strength. Now, in our day and age today, with all of our PC and that kind of thing, we might bristle at this, their weakness. Are women weak? Well, they do have a weakness. They have a certain weakness, not intrinsic to them. Weak meaning in relation to men. Men's bodies are designed more for what is daring to go up against the enemy, that which is in the external world, that which can be a threat. Men are designed to defend and protect. So women are weaker in a certain respect, but actually I'll replace that word with that word weakness with, as the liturgical verse uses here, the word tenderness. Weak meaning softer in many respects. Yes, womanhood has a tremendous strength to it in a certain way, in its own respective way. But here what the scripture is saying and what this verse is saying is that their weakness triumphed over manly strength, which means their weakness or tenderness must have been strong must have been even greater than manly strength because their weakness and the strength of their weakness was in their complete trust, in their naivety, in their receptivity to the love of God and to the news of the resurrection. So this is what this liturgical verse means, that their weakness triumphed over manly strength. Because remember, the women accepted the news. It was frightening at first, but they accepted the news of the resurrection The men did not. They remained skeptical. In fact, the scripture says that when the women came to the men, you know, Peter and the apostles who were hiding, they were sheltering at home, so to speak. When they were doing that, the women came to them with the news that they've seen the Lord. He's risen. And then the scripture says that the men thought it was, quote unquote, nonsense. They had to go see for themselves. And still they didn't believe at first. They kept sheltering at home. So it took them a while. Whereas the women, their weakness, quote unquote, weakness, They received that message and believed it almost immediately. So here we have an interesting passage on what really is strength. And it's, in a sense, strength by means of tenderness, or if you want to use the word weakness. When we come back, we're going to look at some other references to the liturgy that really communicate to us the reality of the resurrection and the significance of the women who came to the tomb, along with Joseph and Arimathea. We'll get to the men as well. They showed some bravery as well. But the women are particularly highlighted here because of their weakness and tenderness that actually was strength of receptivity. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Suddenly, we find ourselves in a new reality where first responders, doctors, custodial workers, nurses, police and fire personnel, stockers, dock workers, clergy, religious, and others 
are in the front lines to combat COVID-19. These people care for your welfare. When you meet one of these selfless people, thank them. Let kindness prevail as we at Light of the East ask you to pray for them. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ. Father Loya would like you to know that Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church is open for personal prayer during the coronavirus outbreak. Father Loya is available for confession and personal counseling during the week. The Divine Liturgy is live-streamed Sunday mornings at 10 on the Annunciation Parish Facebook page. Please keep in mind that parish expenses continue in your absence and that your donation can be accepted on the donation page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Thank you. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loy on this glorious Sunday of the resurrection, the resurrectional season. This Sunday, we feature the myrrh-bearing women and also Joseph and Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. These are the people that went to care for the body of Jesus Christ, and they're put before us. In a sense, their naivety, their full trusting, but their courage, their bravery, and their reverence for the body. Is that not what we were all feeling, maybe in a special way, because we have been denied the body of Christ in the Eucharist for some time now, haven't we? In fact, we're in a time when most all Catholics, <laughs> even Orthodox Christians, turn towards that body of Christ, even if it's only that one time or twice during the year, Christmas and Easter, still there is this massive turning towards the body of Christ in the Eucharist. But now we've been denied that. So we step back and we look at the example of the myrrh-bearing women and Joseph and Nicodemus who cared for the body at the risk of their life. They revered this body of Christ just as we're called to in the Eucharist. And maybe that's part of the many things that God wants us to learn from during this pandemic. Again, it's the resurrection. God's going to use something tragic, something that we would see as intrusive and negative, and use it for goodness. It's a time now for us to sit back and reevaluate and reapproach the Eucharist and all that it means, the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the presence of God on earth. It's the church, not just the sacrament of communion. It's not just about getting Jesus. You know, it's not a vending machine. It's not a little token that we're entitled to, that we showed up at church and we're part of the gang and we don't want to be excluded. 70% of Catholics did not believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. And so perhaps God allowed it to be taken from us for a while, to hopefully reapproach it with the same sense of reverence that the myrrh-bearing women had in Joseph and Nicodemus. Now, there's some other interesting points that the liturgical prayers bring out during this particular Sunday. Here it says in the evening prayer, and this is during the week, during this week of the myrrh-bearing women, it says, when they heard the joyful news of the angels sitting in the tomb of the word, the women who ran there with good intent realized that their purpose would be changed. No longer would they carry myrrh. Instead, they evangelized the apostles. 
He who was hidden in the earth is risen from Hades. They initiated the apostles into the mystery of him who became man for us. Now, there you have in the church, sometimes the church is accused of being anti-woman and so on. Nothing could be further from the truth. Here in the liturgy of the church, this is the prayer of the church written for the church by men, holy men. And what does it say? It says that the women evangelized the apostles. The women brought the reality to the men. No longer would they carry myrrh. Instead, they evangelized the apostles. They would carry the news now of the risen Christ. They would be first to hear of it and to carry it to the men. Then there's this interesting prayer. This, again, is coming from the Matin service during this week of the Myrrh-bearing women in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. It says this, At your conception, O Lord God, an angel said to her who was full of grace, Rejoice! At your resurrection, angel rolled away the stone from the door of your glorious tomb. The first angel spoke with signs of joy instead of sorrow. The latter brought us the good news of a Lord who gives life instead of death. Therefore, we shout to you, O benefactor of all, glory to you, O Lord. You notice how they make that connection, as often the liturgy does, between the Incarnation, Christmas, where it all began, and Pascha, where it all comes to a culmination. Similar things. And one of the things that is the thread that is woven through these events, the Incarnation and the Resurrection, is this idea of virginity. Jesus is born of a woman. Her virginity remains intact. He's put into a virginal tomb. The Scripture says a tomb that no one else had been buried in. And he keeps the seal of the door intact while he rises from the dead. So, again, it's this whole idea of a consistent event, a consistent element of how Christ came into this world and how he rises up and will eventually ascend out of this world back to heaven. And that's that virginal reality that everything is kept intact. Everything is consistent. See, virginity means intactness intactness, oneness, fullness, not separated, not broken. And this is exactly what happened at Jesus' birth, his incarnation, and at the resurrection. Another prayer is this. The chosen apostles did not believe the announcement of Christ's resurrection from the dead. When they heard the testimony of the myrrh bearers, they ran to see the tomb. They saw the shroud and cloth in the grave of him who was sought but had not yet appeared. But when they learned of his resurrection, they proclaimed what they had seen to the world, declaring these things to all peoples. Now, when they came to the tomb, it makes the note here in the liturgy and also in the scripture that they notice the burial wrappings. That is significant. The burial wrappings were laid there. In fact, in one of the scriptures, it says that they were folded up and the part around Jesus' head was separate. It was folded up in a place by itself, as it says in John's Gospel. Interesting detail, because the fact that the wrappings remained meant that the body could not have been stolen. See, this is part of what disproves any of that kind of theory. That's what the guards were paid off by Pilate to say. Say that uh, he was uh, stolen. Well, 
As we say in the liturgy, we actually raise that question through a liturgical prayer. We ask the question, who would steal a naked body? Who would steal a body that has not even been anointed yet? So the wrappings were there showing that no one would have taken that body, especially in in those days, in that culture. It would have been considered to be richly impure. So they would not have taken that body without taking the wrappings with the body. So the wrappings were there on the side as though Jesus had just come right out of them and they were laying there and the head part, the part that wrapped his head was folded up by itself. Now, there was a custom in the ancient Jewish tradition that when someone was at a meal, a guest, at the end of the meal, they would take their napkin and they would fold it up and put it to the side. And that was a symbol that they were to return again. So when the apostles... And the scripture makes a special note about the apostles taking note. That was Peter and John who ran to the tomb. They took special note of the wrappings. And from that, they were already getting a message. Being of the Jewish faith, they knew that a wrapping folded up by itself would have been a signal from Jesus Christ that I am returning. I am coming back. So they had a lot to contemplate. They were getting a lot of signals just from those wrappings, significant signals. See, it's always in the detail. Now, going back to our original question, how is it that we can be joyful? How can we make the resurrection actually alive? How can we live it? How can it be something that's more than just a fake emotion, being superficial, trying to put on a happy face? Meantime, we're surrounded by death and sickness, maybe very, very close to home and even beyond and all the things that may happen, the unemployment, the loss of money, the changes everywhere that are going to happen. How do we remain joyful? Well, as I mentioned, you have to be able to believe and look for evidence of God working through these tragic things. In other words, the mystery of the cross and the resurrection. In a recent study at the Boston University, they said that there were basically three things they found that helps people to be optimistic. Now, there's three elements of optimism. I would replace that word optimism with joy. And those three things are, if you're goal-oriented, you have some goals, not big goals, ambitious goals, I'm going to write a book and make a movie out of all this, but goals in terms of our own improvement, things that we would like to be better. The second thing was gratitude, a posture of gratitude, not always looking at what is dismal, what we don't have, what's missing, what's unfair, but looking at all the things to be thankful about. Then the third thing is to be gregarious. In other words, to make community, to move outside of ourself to the grief of others, to what others need. In other words, to make that free, faithful, full, fruitful gift of self. If you put all these three things together, the goal orientation, the gratitude, the gregariousness, what you end up with is something fundamentally Christian, fundamentally resurrection, fundamentally baptism, fundamentally cross and resurrection. And that is we die to self and we live for the other. That's how we arrive at joy. 
We'll never be joyful by looking at what is wrong, what we don't have, what's unjust, what we wish could be that isn't. We'll never have joy that way. And joy is not something superficial. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Yeah, there's an emotion. A feeling comes from joy. But joy is not the feeling itself. Joy is the origin of a good feeling because joy is a choice to see the resurrected Christ even in the most tragic things and to embrace that last word on everything. And that last word is our last word of our program today. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. New from EWTN Publishing, How the Catholic Church Can Restore Our Culture, by Archbishop Georg Ganswein, Secretary to Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. This sublime collection of essays, homilies, and interviews discusses why Pope Benedict XVI resigned, how Pope Benedict interpreted the assassination attempt of Pope John Paul II in relation to Our Lady of Fatima's message, a typical day in the life of Pope Emeritus Benedict, what Europe can and should learn from the history of the Catholic Church, how the Catholic Church can restore our culture, available now at EWTNRC.com. Buy Catholic. Shop EWTNRC.com. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.